Well, this morning, as we've been doing, I want to take a look at another one of the Psalms. Uh, over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the Psalms of Ascent, and it's been my intention that we'll just continue to walk through those Psalms until our time back together again. Those Psalms start with Psalm 120. This week, we'll be looking at Psalm 122. Um, if you've been watching the Psalms along with us over the last few weeks, then you might remember Psalm 120 is really a Psalm about a discontentment, a, a longing for a better place than the where the traveler finds himself living in exile uh, in this place away from God's people. And so Psalm 120 begins with that traveler setting off from that place of discontentment towards what we assume to be a celebration of worship, a festival in the city of Jerusalem. Psalm 121 we looked at last, last week finds that, uh, that traveler along the road, and as is often the case with life, a, a journey, they begin to wonder and doubt and fear what might lie ahead, the uncertainty of the trip. It asks the question, where will my help come from? Well, Psalm 122 is a unique psalm because it turns its attention towards that final destination. The, the psalmist doesn't arrive at the destination. There's many more of these psalms ascent to come. But as they make it through the, uh, the fears and the concerns, the anxieties of the last chapter, this psalm leads us into an image, uh, the idea, the picture of what is at the end of this destination, the end of that road. I want to read Psalm 122 with you. And uh, if I could have you pay attention to anything, it would be pay attention not just to the image of that final destination, Jerusalem in this case, but the way in which the, the psalmist captures the community, the, the, the people, what it means to be in Jerusalem for that time of worship together with others. So Psalm 122, starting in verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed from Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 122. Um, that whole psalm strikes a different tone than some of the psalms we've looked at so far. There's no sense of fear or anxiety or uncertainty in Psalm 122. It's really a psalm of hopefulness and celebration. You catch it so clearly in some of the lines, Jerusalem built as a city bound firmly together to which the tribes go up. Peace, peace, this refrain that carries through through the end of the psalm. What the psalmist imagines is this experience of having been on this road to Jerusalem and having finally reached that destination, stepping through the gates of that city into, as you can imagine, outside of the city is wilderness and inside of the city, past that gate, is a whole different world, a community, a people, a place of worship and commerce and families and markets. And so the psalmist is reflecting on that experience of having traveled this road and now stepping through those gates into Jerusalem, the holy city. If you visit Jerusalem today, some of you may next year, um, you can still see some of these old gates uh, and you can pass through those gates into parts of the old city and, and experience a little bit of what this psalmist is reflecting on, what it means to go from one part of the city now stepping into a different part of the city and that experience of 
entering in that this psalm is trying to capture. If the experience of traveling to Jerusalem, which we saw in the last two psalms we've looked at, is one of a kind of mix of fear and uncertainty, this feeling of isolation, of being vulnerable and on the road alone. Well, this psalm has none of those same fears. No rocky roads, no risks or bends in that path, no shadows that are cast that they must, must pass through. The image here is instead of a community of people. Israel bound firmly together where all of the tribes, these diverse people, come together. They go up to Jerusalem for these festivals, these feasts, these times of worship in Jerusalem. The traveler imagines what it must be like to finally walk into those gates during this time of celebration, having been so long on this difficult road alone. Psalm 122 has long been considered a psalm of worship. I mean, I think you see that pretty clearly in the passage when you read it. But it's not just worship as in, I personally find a place to worship God. The image of worship it presents is of an entire community, a people at worship, and an individual having traveled the road, being welcomed, stepping into that community, that place of worship. Psalm 122, in, in my opinion, is really about the goodness of being together in worship. Tim Keller uh, has a devotional on the Psalms, and in his uh, comments for Psalm 122, he points out that what Jerusalem was for a traveler in the ancient world, today the church is for those of us, those of us who follow Christ. In the same way that an individual traveler might long for the place of worship in Jerusalem, but so too individual Christians as they walk through life come to appreciate and value, like they once did Jerusalem, the experience of being together in a local church, the church, worshiping together with other believers. Uh, or consider uh, one of the images that always sticks out when we talk about this image of the city and its gates, is that final image from the book of Revelation. Uh, whenever this image of a new heaven and a new earth is described, what is used is, is this analogy of a city. Um, what John sees is a kind of cubed city, a square city that descends down from heaven. Uh, it's a new Jerusalem, a new Zion. It's the image of this place of community and commerce and relationships uh, bound firmly together. All of the peoples pulled into this city. The same image from Psalm 122 is that culminating image of what one day God will do in the fullness of all of his promises coming together in that new heaven and new earth. A city bound firmly together, an eternal city, and what it will mean to step through those gates as we've long journeyed our way towards that city. Uh, as I was reading this psalm this week, I didn't miss the irony that we would be reading and talking about a psalm that's primary image is a community of people together for worship, and we would be reading it in a situation where I'm sitting in front of a video camera and you're sitting in front of a TV or a computer. Uh, we're not together in the midst of this worship, and I wasn't. it wasn't a loss, the sort of irony of that moment. Some people have already started to predict that this could be the future of what church services are like, that everything will move online and everything will be video streamed and everything will be uh, something you could access from home or on the go. And, and surely there will always be a place for that. But I have a hard time believing that that's the future of the church. As far back as you go, what church has meant has always been this physical bodied experience of being together in worship, of stepping through that gate, that doorway into a unique place, a different place, not just my living room like we're in now, but a place that has been set aside as a place for worship. 
as a place for God. Um, I'm not sure that this is the future. I hope this is not the future. But there's something I think that this time is doing that's making me realize just how much that place of worship actually matters. Um, there will probably be one of two effects in the way that we've recently been watching so many of these live stream video services. Uh, for some, I think it'll do what this psalm does. It will deepen our desire for that day when we could be together again to worship. For others, the risk is you could use this as an excuse or a convenient way to say that uh, worship is better when it fits into my schedule, the way it fits me best, and this is a perfect way of doing it. In other words, uh, what has in many ways already been a kind of trend in worship could become even more so because of these video opportunities. That instead of longing for a day to be back together, we might conclude from this, well, wasn't that convenient? We could fit it in our schedule, make it work for us, get what we wanted out of it, and how much better would that be uh, in the days to come, the years to come, if we continued? The truth is, worshiping together, um, if you look at it from that perspective, being together in person is not convenient. If a worship service was just content that I'm delivering to you and a song that you could sing or hum along with and get some meaningful images out of, then surely there would be more convenient ways for us to distribute that content. But the reality is worship is not about what is most convenient. It's not set up to be convenient, and it never has, not from the time this psalm was written to our own day. Um, the moment our corporate worship gets individualized into what works best for each of us as individuals is the moment we begin to lose what I think Psalm 122 is trying to welcome us into, this sense of joy entering into something larger than just our individual needs or our individual conveniences. How is this service feeding me? How does it work for my schedule? What's the best option for me to be able to participate? Um, one of the books that I've been reading as we've been working through these Psalms of Ascent is uh, one of my favorite Eugene Peterson books, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He actually works through uh, the Psalms of Ascent in that book. And in writing on this Psalm about community, he said this, which resonated with me as a pastor. He writes, One of the afflictions of pastoral work has been to listen with a straight face to all of the reasons people give for not going to church. My mother made me when I was little. There are too many hypocrites in the church. It's the only day I have to sleep in. There was a time when I responded to such statements with simple arguments that exposed them as flimsy excuses. Then I noticed that it didn't make any difference. If I showed the inadequacy of one excuse, three more would pop up in its place. So I don't respond anymore. I listen with a straight face and go home and pray that person will one day find the one sufficient reason for going to church, which is God. I go about my work hoping that when I do and say what I do and say will be usable by the Holy Spirit to create in that person a determination to worship God in a Christian community. The truth is, biblical faith has no concept of individualized religion or individualized worship. The picture of the Psalms, the picture of the New Testament church was never a lone individual worshiping God, but rather a person, even when they were alone, longing to be with others in worship of God. What holds us together as worshipers, though, is not just the church. In other words, what brings us to church is not just the experience of the church or what we benefit from the church or how much we might like the church. What brings us together for church for these times of worship, 
is our shared commitment to what God is doing in our midst, bigger than my individual needs, bigger than two or three of our needs, but a new kind of need collectively in this group, Jerusalem in this case, in our case, Bent Oak Church, where two or three are gathered, there I am also is the way we are so familiar with. But that wasn't a kind of minimum requirement. If you can get the bare minimum, two people, then I'll listen and hear your prayers. No, what it is, is it's a way of saying that Christ does his work, that the Christian life is experienced and developed and grown in the context of other believers, that you can't make progress as a believer on your own. How do you do it? How do you practice things like the fruit of the Spirit, patience and kindness and faithfulness when you're all by yourself? The truth is you need relationships, sometimes difficult and frustrating relationships, to give you the opportunities to grow into those things, those works that the Spirit is doing in our midst. Um, I'm sometimes struck by how people, uh, oftentimes it's even pastors as well, will joke about the annoyance of people in the church. Wouldn't this church be great if it wasn't for all of the people? People make everything complicated, and sure, sometimes it's true, but the reality is that's a little bit of the point. Part of the difficulty of church is the point of church. It's not always convenient. It's not always easy. It's not always personally fulfilling, but the truth is that's... That's what we need. Um, if we look at the church and say, worship is about what I get out of it, what works for me, then the church ends up functioning like everything else in this world. The restaurants I like, the stores I go to buy clothes, the things I order online, the products and brands that I like best, pick a church while you're at it. But the truth is you need something and I need something that works differently than the way this world works. I need something like a church that doesn't fit into that consumer paradigm that forces me to be a part of and to live in a reality that's bigger than just my own tastes, my own interests. If I just pick what I want, what chance do I have of growing or recognizing something new or acquiring a taste for something that I hadn't had before? For long periods of time, that is what the church has always been, a place where we came together not to have ourselves fulfilled, but to be brought into something bigger than ourselves, to have ourselves challenged and pushed and reformed. Um, Peterson put it this way later on in that same chapter. We live in a pragmatic age and are reluctant to do anything if its practical usefulness cannot be demonstrated. It is inevitable that we, uh, it is inevitable that we ask regarding worship, is it worth it? But it's the wrong question. Um, let me put it as bluntly as I can. Church is usually a waste of time, especially when you ask that question from the perspective of the world. I mean, think about most of our church services. You may have felt good leaving, but what did we get done? What did we accomplish? Can you point to anything that happened six months ago at a church service and show the benefit of it? You didn't make any more money because you came to church. You didn't get a job promotion because you were at church. You didn't take home a nicer car or a bigger house because you came to church. What does the church do? What do we get out of it? When you ask those kind of questions, the church begins to look more and more pointless. Really, what is the point? Why not just watch it over a video stream whenever it's helpful and move on about your business? But those are the wrong questions. And interestingly enough, 
not the questions that are on the mind of this traveler heading towards Jerusalem. I mean, if you think about that feast in Jerusalem, this psalmist who is going to spend several psalms recounting this experience of traveling from his home to Jerusalem, you can imagine in the ancient world the massive amount of cost that would have come for that kind of a trip, the amount of time and physical endurance that went into it. And for what? When he showed up in Jerusalem for a festival, he didn't get paid to be there. He didn't take extra money home with him. There were no door prizes at uh, the Holy Land feasts whenever he showed up for worship once a year. He came because his identity as a member of the people of God compelled him to go and to worship amongst the people of God. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about what he would get out of the trip. It was about the experience of being amongst God's people in worship of God. It was about God. And about the way that the journey itself and the experience of worship, the challenges of it, would stretch him and grow him into a person capable of writing these psalms that some two, three thousand years later, we're reading and working through together. Um, Like our turning away from church, to forfeit this place of worship is to give in to this consumer idea that what I want matters and that I can actually know what I want enough to pursue it. The truth is, you and I most of the time don't know what we want, whether it's at a drive through window trying to order either cashew or sweet and sour, or if it's something far more important, how to improve our lives, how to grow deeper in faith, how to build our faith, how to care for a sick and aging loved one, or how to deal with our own fears and insecurities. We don't know what we need, and so we come to the place of worship so that we might step out of the reality of our own consumerism and into the reality of God a bigger world than the one we had previously inhabited. Um, There's a tool by which we learn to value community because the truth is it doesn't come naturally for, for us. There are the extroverted type, but oftentimes even those who are looking for relationships are doing it out of our own self interest because we enjoy it. We find it interesting. But what does it mean to love a community of people, sometimes a difficult community of people to worship with them for the reason of God alone and the enjoyment of God alone. That, that's something we often have to learn or cultivate within ourselves. And Psalm 122 actually gives you an interesting way of going about it. Um, you might notice this refrain that plays out over and over in Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Verse 7, peace be within your walls. Uh, verse 8, I will say, peace be within you. Verse 9, I will seek your good. This refrain of peace happens over and over. The great Hebrew word shalom, it's this fullness, not just that you wouldn't be attacked by enemies, but that this experience of being in Jerusalem would be the fullest experience of what's good about being humans and good about being in community together. Um, What the psalmist is doing as he's heading towards Jerusalem is praying for the good of those people in Jerusalem. Uh, I was really struck this week that his prayer is not, help me to have an awesome time in Jerusalem. Help me to get a lot out of this worship experience in Jerusalem. Um, Help me to be a better person when I walk away from this place in Jerusalem. But instead, what anchors his attention, his imagination and prayer, is the image of all of those tribes going to Jerusalem in his desperate prayer, peace be in Jerusalem, peace be with my brothers and sisters. I will pray for your good and for your benefit. If you want to know how you can enjoy church more, if you want to know what it means to get the experience of this community as something beneficial to you, then I think Psalm 122's prayer is a good place to start. 
What would it look like if you made the same kind of commitment this psalmist does to pray for the good of our church? Not just what you might get out of it, not just that you might have better friendships or you might uh, find nicer people or connect with somebody, but what if you spent a significant amount of time saying, God, peace be on our church and peace be upon the people in this place. Bless them. Make us strong, firm together within these walls. Commit yourself to pray for the good of our church. But then also commit yourself to pray for the good of the church, the bigger church we're a part of. God, bless Bent Oak Church, but also bless this Assemblies of God denomination we're a part of. Bless this evangelical churches that we're a part of throughout the U.S. Bless all of those who come under Christ's name to worship. Bless the churches around the world, some of which are under persecution and find themselves in much more difficult places than ours. Um, If you want to cultivate an appreciation for community, the best way you can do it is to begin to offer your time and attention and prayers to the good of that community, to the good of those people. And watch, like this psalmist does, days still away from Jerusalem, as he turns his attention and begins to pray for the good of that place, if it doesn't build in you a greater anticipation to be with those people. How can you spend days praying for their good and not find in yourself a new appreciation and a new desire to see that prayer fulfilled, to feel the goodness of being together, of seeing God and his spirit work in those people, and to testify not only to your own participation in it, but God's participation amongst this people. Um, Psalm 22 for me is a prayer I think I'm going to be praying for many days to come. God bless our church when we're apart. And when we are together, may we experience the fullness of what it means to be in community with one another as we worship you in the midst of our lives being brought together for your sake, not my own, but for your worship and your glory and your honor. Um, If we could commit ourselves to that prayer, I wonder just how much we might enjoy that day when that prayer is fulfilled and we do worship together again. Let's close together in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, that's our prayer this morning. Our prayer is that there would be peace within our church. God, that you would bless all of the lives of the people who you have brought together by your drawing, by your leading to Bent Oak Church. God, we pray for all of the churches in our city, many of which are struggling to make difficult decisions about when and how to meet. We pray that your spirit would be upon all of those churches the churches within our country, many of which are doing like we are this morning, some back together, trying to socially distance. God, others sitting in cars at drive throughs Some, God, not able to meet at all because of a lack of technology. And God, we pray for so many churches around the world who during this time find it even more difficult than we do to be together. God, I pray that your spirit would be in our midst that you would bring peace and goodness to your churches, that there would be peace in Jerusalem, and that God, you, through this prayer, would build in us a desire and a commitment and a value for the time we do have together, that day coming again when we can worship you amongst a community of believers in person. God, rework our hearts to love this church because you are a part of it, because you are building it, because it's where your spirit rests. 
God, I do pray that you would deepen our relationships, that you would make our times of worship individually fulfilling, that there would be meaning and depth and life change for all of us, but that, God, our hearts would first and foremost long to be in that place because it's your place, your people, and we're your people. And so we come together at times not accomplishing anything in the world's eyes, at times doing it when it's not easy, when we may feel frustrated, when we may have tension. But God, all of that pales in comparison to the joy we have of being in your church, with your people, worshiping you for your sake. It's in your name we pray. Amen.